Have you ever dreamed of being a reality TV star? Whether you're looking for romance, home renovations, or to show off your culinary skills, appearing on a reality show is a surefire way to attract attention, pick up followers on social media, maybe even open the door to a lucrative financial opportunity. And for aspiring inventors and entrepreneurs, the holy grail of reality TV appearances is landing a spot on Shark Tank. Since debuting back in 2009, Mark Cuban, Damon John, Lori Grenier, and their fellow Sharks have shaken hands with hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs, helping some of them launch globally recognized products. The show has even spawned what's known as the Shark Tank Effect, with some companies seeing a sales boost from simply appearing on the broadcast, even if they didn't land a deal. But whether a pitch on Shark Tank actually results in an investment or not, there's one thing you may have noticed if you're a regular viewer. There's a certain question that seems to come up over and over again. And often, it can be the difference between an inventor landing a deal or leaving the show empty-handed. Do you have a patent on this? Uh, no, I don't, not yet. I did a patent search, but I never got to them. Nobody else has no. patented anything similar. Jeff, is it patented? Do you own the patent to the neck hinge thing? Get yes. the patents or not? Yes, I got all the patents. All right, Dan, I'll buy that you have a trademark. What are those things? Are they patents? Is that what you got? Yes. All of these are patents of mine, and I funded all my patents. Is there something proprietary about this, or can you patent this? I'm not even certain. This is a trademark patent-pending product that functions as a self-contained receptor. Did you have a patent pending, did you say? We do, but we have forgotten. Yeah. Did you put a patent on these little puppies? Yes, sir. I have a patent and a trademark registered here and in China. Is it a design patent or utility? It is a design patent and for the original. Watching Shark Tank, I learned how to run a business, right? You see entrepreneurs stand here and they're, you know, doing something that might not be the smartest and they just get roasted for it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm taking the lessons that you were telling other entrepreneurs and applying them to this business. Welcome to a brand new season of Stroke of Genius, proudly presented by the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. I'm your host, IP enthusiast, entrepreneur, and business growth specialist, Raha Francis. I hope you brought your swim trunks and maybe some bait, because on this episode, we're going shark hunting to find out how IP protection and patents in particular are critical for entrepreneurs and inventors who want to create a feeding frenzy among potential investors. The world is full of people with ideas. Some of them are novel and life-changing. Others are incremental improvements on something that came before. But no matter how good your idea is, if you don't have exclusive rights to it, it's way more difficult to attract investors. That's why protecting your IP is crucial, especially for small and medium enterprises or SMEs, which represent nine in 10 businesses on the planet. SMEs are especially important for people in underserved communities and developing countries, representing 70% of local employment opportunities. But at what point should you, as an entrepreneur or inventor, start to think about IP protection? And what kind? Is your product patentable, or would you be better off treating it as a trade secret? And how do you even get started on an IP protection strategy? To help us answer those questions and more, I'm thrilled to be joined by two people with tons of experience and expertise in this area. Max Fieber is the inventor of the Brew cold-filtered coffee system, who landed a deal on Shark Tank himself back in 2018. And Brent Seitz is the patent attorney of record at Harness IP, who helped Max secure a patent on his product. Max, Brent, welcome to Stroke of Genius. Thank you. It's so good to be here. 
Thank you, Ra. Max, I'd like to start with you. Tell me about your invention and how it first came about. I'm sure you had to get the story right for Shark Tank, so we want to hear it too. I understand you were still a teenager when you developed quite a taste for coffee. Yeah, so I actually really started drinking coffee when I was about 14 years old and, you know, really got excited about experimenting with different types of coffee, different roasts of coffee, and in doing so, came across cold brew coffee. And this is before most major retailers were selling it. It was before you could buy a can of cold brew at the grocery store. It's before the cafes were serving it. And I was really enamored with the thought of making coffee with cold water instead of hot water. And as a 15-year-old kid who really liked to experiment and really liked to tinker around, started researching how I could make it at home. And so came across this method of brewing cold brew that used a mason jar. And the way you would do it is you would take a mason jar, you would add ground coffee and cold water, you would let that sit overnight just to fully extract, and then you would filter it. What everyone online said to do to filter it was to take a cheesecloth or take a colander and line it with paper towel or you know use a pour over, all of which were methods that really didn't work that well. They were messy, they were chaotic, they were just complicated. And, you know, the only alternative on the market was these multi-hundred dollar cold brew coffee systems. And so I said, there's this whole subculture online that's making cold brew coffee with these mason jars. They just don't have an effective way to filter it. And so what I did is I said, like, why can't I just make a double-sided lid with a screen in the middle, empty jar on the top? And so you can flip it like an hourglass to have the coffee filter through the filter into the bottom jar. Spent a lot of time and a few months just tinkering around and asking everyone I knew how we could make this product, you know, really great. Which is at the time when I realized it was something there that was novel and patentable. Brent, what is it? It's novel and... New and non-obvious. New and non-obvious. So I said I had a new and non-obvious idea, which is apparently was not obvious, according to Brent. I, I said this has to be protected, right? I want to be able to make this. I want to be able to sell this in the market without somebody taking this idea. And I drafted a patent on my own or a, like a brief for a patent that I then passed to Brent's team who um, were, were able to help me get a provisional application filed for it. At which point I then went on to sell it in the market and end up on Shark Tank, which was a very, very exciting experience. Okay, this is awesome. There's so much there. It seems, Max, like you're ahead of the curve in many ways. First, with just coming up with the idea before it was, well, quote unquote, cool, and then figuring out such a novel approach. I'd like to take a step back to that point where you said you really had something worth protecting. I'd like to better understand how you got the ball rolling on that and how you kind of even got involved with Brent in the first place. So to clarify, I had the idea for brew. And when I had the idea, I was like, it's such a clear, easy solution. This product must exist in the market. And, you know, I I went everywhere to try and find it, was unable to find it in the market. That's when I realized I was like, I found a product that really has to like, I think it should exist, right? I think this product should be something that that is in the market. And it doesn't. And it's a really clear opportunity for me to be launching a new product. And, and I'm going to have Brent, my lovely patent counsel, clarify at some point or tell me when to stop talking. But I think that it was really exciting that I was able to get this into the market. And I realized I was like, I don't want anybody to be able to make this. I don't want this to become a generic product. I want this to be the brew coffee filter. And I want that to be protected. Right. So Brent, Tell us, how did you come to be involved in all this? It seems like you were a bit of a guiding force once Max realized he might really have something worth protecting. Well, Max reached out to our firm. I think he was in high school at the time. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was part of some sort of project or class that you were involved in. 
We had a relationship with Max and his family, so we we knew Max previously. His dad actually was familiar with patents and IP protection, and he asked us if we would take a look and help him out, and we were glad to do so. So yeah, Max came to us with the write-up, a nice detailed write-up describing the invention with, uh, I think he had some drawings, some sketches, and you know a written description. And we took that and we made it into a provisional patent application, which once you file that with the patent office, you get one year to decide whether or not you want to convert it into a full utility patent application. But once you file it, that kind of gives you some freedom to disclose it and do some marketing. And then about a year later, we worked uh, with Max again to convert that provisional into a regular utility application and then went through the patent prosecution process with the patent office. And we had to basically present arguments as to why we thought Max deserved a patent. You know, sometimes that process can go very smooth and other times it can go on for many, many years with appeals and whatnot. But thankfully, in this case, it was a very smooth process and we were able to get Max a patent relatively quickly. And I think the patent issued just days before uh, Max's appearance on Shark Tank. Wow, that's a tight timeline. But I mean, it makes sense for sure to start with a provisional patent. It's more cost effective. It lets you use the term patent pending when talking about your invention, which is especially important for independent inventors. Is there anything else I'm missing, Max? So once you file for a provisional patent application, you can then disclose your invention. This is correct, right, Brent? That you can then disclose your invention to the market. Right. So before you file a provisional application or a patent application, if you disclose your invention to the public, right? And if you go public, say, I have this amazing idea, it then becomes very challenging, if not impossible, to, to gain protection for that idea based on just the nature of the patent office. Right, Brent? Correct. There are some exceptions, but you you definitely do not want to disclose your invention publicly prior to filing a provisional or a regular uh, utility patent application. Okay, cool. So yeah, so once we filed that provisional patent application, I had a lot of comfort to then be able to take it to the market and really start disclosing what this idea was. And so at that point, this is still 2015. Shark Tank, we, we aired January 6th, 2019. So we're still a few years earlier, but at this point, we launched on Kickstarter. So we raised our, our first round of funding to then be able to go out and actually have the product manufactured. And then we're just selling online. And we, we really early on were really fortunate to have a partner called The Gromit, which was founded by Jules Pieri, who was able to really help get our product into the market, get more people to know about us and, and help drive our sales traction, which then another few years later helped us through the application process for Shark Tank, which is probably as rigorous as the patent application process. Wish I could have had Brent helping me with that one as well. <laughs> Listen, it seems like you had enough guidance, at least to know that having a patent going into the show would help you make the deal. Is is that something you had thought of that Brent had advised you on? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew just through watching Shark Tank, right? If you're bringing them a product that looks like Brew does, right, which is so unique, they want to know that you're patented and they want to know that you're not anybody can just take your product. And, and, and the reason for that being, if you are trying to have somebody invest in you, and you're trying to really build equity within a product, your IP is really what the majority of your value is other than your sales and your brand. You know, if you, if you take out the leadership of the company and you take out the brand recognition, which are two significant pieces, but let's say those aren't, aren't successful, which is the case for a lot of Shark Tank companies, your IP has a lot of value and is still something that then can be traded on or can be sold or can have some form of financial upside from a Shark Tank deal from their perspective. And so it was really important to me that we had a patent that was cleared 
by the time it was airing. That was completely out of my control, but we got really lucky in the sense that the patent published, that's the terming, the patent published. Or maybe you received your notice of allowance, you mean? Thank you, Rafa. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, We received the notice of allowance three or four days before I aired on Shark Tank. So it was really, really soon before. was really lucky. And my birthday was like also the same week. So it was all a very crazy, um, crazy couple days. We were really lucky to then, you know, get the notice of allowance, be able to say on air, my patent just was granted. And then, you know, be able to get a deal with Mark Cuban. Talk about an awesome birthday present. My gosh, like tell me more about the deal you landed with them. Yeah. So it was really amazing. I, when I was on Shark Tank, I had three offers. I had one from Kevin O'Leary. I had one from Damon and I had one from Mark. I was really grateful for all the offers I received. And, um, Really liked Mark's team. I knew the reputation of their team. Him and all of the people that he works with are really exceptional. And, you know, I really liked the terms of his deal better than I liked the terms of the other deals in terms of how they were structured. And so he gave me, as he does frequently, a countdown. He's like, you need to give me five seconds to decide yes or no on this deal. Otherwise, I'm out. Showbiz, baby. Yeah, it was great. I, I said yes. <laughs> we shook hands on it. Then I walked away and we began um, preparing for the very large amount of traction that we were going to receive. Wow. Again, such such a great birthday present, but also such a new experience, I'd imagine. Brent, was that the first time one of your clients appeared on Shark Tank? How did that feel for you? That was the first time. Yeah, that was really neat. I mean, I'd always would get people ask me, they would ask me in passing, oh, have you ever had a client go on Shark Tank? And the answer would always be uh, no, but now I can say yes. And uh, to this day, I still have people... uh, who see the rerun and they'll reach out to me. And every once in a while, I'll catch it sometimes on a rerun. So that's always fun. I love that. And I, I know Harness IP has been around for a long time. Mind telling us how many other inventors your firm has helped to secure patents? Well, uh, yeah, right. We've been around for 100 years, a little over 100 years now. And I mean, thousands upon thousands of inventors and thousands of patents we've successfully prosecuted and gotten issued for inventors. So we're what's called a boutique patent firm. We only do patents, trademarks, and copyrights. As far as those types of firms go, we're one of the uh, largest and oldest in the country. That's amazing, Brent. I I still want to hear your advice for other inventors, entrepreneurs who might want to follow in Max's footsteps. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Folks, hang tight. I'm Raha Francis, and you're listening to Stroke of Genius, the podcast that explores intellectual property from the perspective of successful inventors, innovators, and creators. This season, we're tackling some myths and misconceptions to help you better understand how to navigate the tricky world of IP protection and learn how the system can work for everyone, especially people from historically underrepresented communities. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about the work of the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation, just visit ipoef.org. Welcome back. Today, we're swimming with the sharks. To find out why inventors and entrepreneurs on Shark Tank are constantly asked if they've patented their products. My guests are Shark Tank alumnus and the inventor of the brew coffee system, Max Fever, and the attorney who helped Max secure his patent, Brent Seitz from Harness IP. Now that our listeners know the details of your own IP journey, Max, I'd love for us to get into the lessons learned and what other folks should take away from your experience. But first, I gotta ask, who's your favorite shark? Was it intimidating facing them all in person? Was it a weird experience? It was a bizarre experience, to say the least. You have a trailer 
you know, you have a makeup artist, they like shuffle you around. It's really, it's really cool. I will also say that standing on that carpet, looking at the sharks feels exactly like you would imagine it feels on TV. It's very, very close to reality, how they show it on the air. You've got the music playing through your head, I guess. Yeah. So the only thing, the only difference is they don't actually play the music when you're walking down the hallway. But of course, you're humming it to yourself. Like you're, (laughs) you know, walking down, you have it going in your head. I have to say Mark's my favorite shark. Him and his whole team and the whole office that he's built to support entrepreneurs and to support young businesses. It's just a really amazing organization. And it was a really, he specifically was a really great partner to work with. Love that. Now let's get into the practical stuff. And maybe I should start with the question at the very center of the episode. Why do the sharks care if your product is patented? I think if you are an entrepreneur and somebody's valuating you, right? Just trying to assign a value to your product due to your company. It becomes a lot more tangible to assign a value to something that has IP protection, right? Because that's something that's tangible. You can sell it, you know, you can raise money on it. It's something that exists that, you know, you have a piece of paper proving that your product is yours. If you don't have that, it doesn't mean you won't be successful, but it means it's a lot. You have to really, really prove yourself through revenue and through your profitability and through your income statements and then through you as an individual to be able to demonstrate that you have management experience. And in the 30 minutes that you're standing in front of the sharks, cut down to eight for TV, they don't have the opportunity to assess that. And so they really can't, in the blink of a second that they're talking to you, assess whether or not you have the ability to really successfully grow your company without a patent. And, you know, the majority of people that don't have patents face a lot more competition in the market. And these Shark Tank brands aren't massive corporations that have the resources to, to, you know, fight and protect their inventions that aren't properly patented. They need the protection of a patent. And so the Sharks really care to see that one, you've had the foresight to plan and to get yourself patented to protect your inventions. And two, that there's something there then they can use to say, this is the tangible product that has something that we can protect against. And I think that not having one, it, it makes it a lot more challenging to have somebody like the Sharks invest in you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and it seems this like this idea of sellability probably follows you after after the Shark Tank episode itself. Like, Do you think IP was a factor when your company eventually got acquired as it did? Yeah. So I think that when I was looking to exit my company, searching for people to, you know, we were, we were in talks with potential buyers. It was a lot easier for us to say, we have a product that has a patent that you can purchase and start selling on, than say buy our brand and buy our assets and buy, you know, it, it was became a much more straightforward sale because we could sell the patent. And when we sold without disclosing the, you know, total structure of the deal, what essentially happened is we sold them the patent plus are the rights to the patent, plus a few other assets. And it became a much easier transaction than me staying on and selling shares and keeping the deal much more complicated. And they wanted to see that also. They wanted to know that, one, we weren't stealing somebody else's idea and having a patent proves that it's ours and it's novel. And two, that we wanted to have faith that as we were taking it to people and disclosing our finances, another company couldn't look at it and be like, oh, let's start making this ourselves under our brand, right? So it became protection for us, but also... It gave our, our potential buyers and ultimately Snarky Tea, who acquired us, a lot more comfort in you know purchasing our product and being able to sell it. Brent, anything you care to add to that or expand on, on firstly, why sharks are so hungry for patents? Well, I think Max said it really well. I mean, a uh, patent provides some tangible property that you can sell, you can license. And yes, there's some validation with the patent office granting you a patent on your idea that it's, in their opinion, new and, and non-obvious. And without a patent, uh, if someone steals your idea, your recourse is very, very limited. So patent protection is essential, especially if you're a sole inventor. Yeah, it sounds like 
from what y'all have explained from a perspective of sellability or from perspective of recourse, it's really important to have IP protection as a part of what you're doing. And I sort of hate to ask, Brent, but do patents really stop others from copying your invention? Well, a patent, uh, you know, someone can always steal your invention. Uh, If you have a patent, then you can file a lawsuit in federal court for stealing your invention. So the the patents are not self-policing. You have to keep an eye on uh, what's going on out uh, in the marketplace. And if you believe that someone has stolen your invention, it's up to you to take action against them typically by uh, filing a lawsuit in in federal court to enforce your patent rights. And what if the copier is someone with really deep pockets? Well, unfortunately, that is a tactic. And yes, patent litigation is very expensive and it goes on for a long time. I would also add, I think, on that note that let's say you are a small company and another small companies, they're using something that you have a patent on. You have, like Brent said, there's a high possibility that you might be in for a really long court battle. There's also the possibility that you can send one letter saying, hey, here's our patent. Here's the patent number. Here's what's protected. Like, go away. For sure. And in our experience, that worked, right? Whereas we avoided a lot of litigation because we were able to say, you know, we have a patent. We're protected. If you want to fight us, you're in for a really long fight. You know, the patent is solid. And we were able to get people to back down. And I I don't know that that would work against everybody, as I'm sure Brent would attest. But I think it did provide us a lot of comfort in knowing we had a little bit of a, a cushion to be able to protect ourselves from a couple of people that were trying to use our property. Right. No one wants to be stuck in a long court battle. Usually both sides, they want to reach a settlement. So like Max said, you know, things worked out for him. So it's not as dire as uh, maybe I made it sound before, but things can go different ways. It could be a prolonged battle or, you know, the sides could come together and reach a settlement agreement that in some instances, it could help the smaller inventor. Perhaps they could end up doing a big deal, uh, a licensing deal or an assignment. There's always a possibility of working out a deal to settle the case. And oftentimes it can be a favorable settlement. Yeah. And, you know, those settlements don't exist without a patent. Right. A big fish, if they steal your idea and you don't have any IP protection, you're SOL. Like they're not negotiating with you in court, right? There's no chance for a settlement. Whereas if you have the patent, you might still have to fight, but there's a possibility that you can arrange a licensing agreement or you can, you know, arrange an assignment and you, you're able to have some form of takeaway at the end without fully being lost. It's always better to have a patent when you're in those fights than not to have one, which I think we're both in agreement on. Yes, absolutely. Before we wrap up, I just want to solicit some final words of wisdom for our listeners. Brett, maybe I'll start with you. What's the most important thing that you want people to take away from this conversation? Well, I think just the importance of patents and make sure that uh, you don't disclose your invention to anyone until you talk to a patent attorney and get protection, provisional patent application or a regular utility patent application. And I'd say don't try to do it yourself. I mean, like there are some good resources online. Uh, If you go to USPTO.gov, that's the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and they have a big section there that kind of explains what patents and trademarks and copyrights are. And they have some good programs, too, for sole inventors. So I would definitely start at USPTO.gov. Learn as much as you can. Document all the work that you're doing and don't disclose it to third parties. And then go and see a patent attorney. I would just echo what Brent said, don't do it yourself. I had a really great professor in a basic law class in college who the first day sat everyone down. She said, the goal of this class is not for you to walk away being a lawyer. The goal of this class is for you to walk away knowing when you have to call a lawyer. 
And I think that's really good advice, right? In the sense that you have to have a baseline understanding of the patent system to know when to reach out to counsel. I incorporated myself at the beginning, which I don't think I should have done. I think I got like, like there were a lot of filings that I did on my own. Your patent application is not one of them. Don't do it yourself. And also like most attorneys can't even do a patent application, right? You have to have a special certification in addition to just being an attorney. And so really having somebody that's knowledgeable in terms of patent law and how to, how to apply is critical. Thanks so much for being on Stroke of Genius, Max. Thank you so much for having me. And Brent, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast as well. Thank you, Raha. My pleasure. My guests today have been Max Bieber, the founder of Brew, and patent attorney Brent Seitz. What a fun story. And why am I suddenly craving a cold brewed coffee? I don't even drink coffee. Seriously, though, there are clearly a lot of things that separate entrepreneurs from entrepreneurs, as the sharks call them. But if you ever do end up eye to eye with a potential investor, your best defense when they ask you about patents is to have one. They're not only a good way to protect your inventions by deterring copycats, they're also critical to generating investment by helping investors put a value on your company and giving them a little peace of mind too. It's worth mentioning that trademarks and copyrights do also come up on Shark Tank from time to time. And as an entrepreneur, inventor, or creator, it's really important for you to know the differences and how they apply to different things. As we heard from Max and Brent, it's also hugely beneficial to have someone in your corner who knows the IP system really well. I'm Raha Francis, and this is Stroke of Genius, brought to you by the Intellectual Property Owners Education Foundation. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts, because we have a lot more interesting and informative content coming your way this season. And if you're an inventor or aspiring inventor, you can find some tools to help you manage your own IP journey at ipoef.org resources. Bye for now.